Hi, welcome back to Part of the Story, Red Deer Public Library's official podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Claire Brown. And I'm Shannon LaRondell. And we are trying a new way of bringing a socially distanced podcast to you. And we are recording through Zoom. So there might be some weird, like, you know, Zoom stuff happening. <laughs> some like weird audio stuff so that we ask you to bear with us. But it's kind of exciting to be able to see Shannon this time because we're right. recording just through the app. Uh, previously, we use the Anchor app if anyone's interested. It's a really good app and it's been good to us. But it's nice to see someone's face when you're recording a podcast. It's so. easier with timing as well. I found that our last one, sometimes we were talking over each other because there was no visual cue as to when your statement was going to be finished. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> so we're hoping that this works. And if it does, then this is really exciting uh, for moving forward, having guests and all that kind of stuff. So Fingers crossed for us, listeners, gentle listeners. <laughs> yeah, it opens it opens the doors to, to all sorts of things because, yeah, you can do all sorts of distant um, guests that could never, ever be present with us from yeah. anywhere, right? It's so true. And who knows how long we will be encouraged to be physically distanced from each other. So we might be doing this for a while and if it works and we hope that it does <laughs> yep. it's a really great opportunity for us so about a month ago uh Shannon and I were talking about what are we going to do what's what's our next podcast and then February got away from us we're not gonna lie we promised you a new episode in February did not deliver apologies <laughs> but um Shannon and I were both huge uh fans of the romance genre and as a genre it has its sort of like controversial bits. There's a lot of conversation around the romance genre. And since Shannon and I are so deeply invested in the genre as readers and Shannon as a writer, we thought like, let's talk about some of those bits and sort of see where we land with things. Maybe get you thinking about the genre in a different way. Or, you know, if you disagree with us, let us know. Where I hope so. I here. hope thinking yeah. about it in a different way is what you come away with today. No, totally. Totally. So I think we should start with what we mean when we talk about genre romance, right? Like what, yeah. what is romance as a genre? Because people think that if a book has romance in it, it is a romance. But like technically, no, not the rules. No. So like Shannon, what does romance mean to you? Well, I have a definition that I actually went and found, and it says a centric romantic relationship with a characteristically optimistic ending must be emotionally satisfying. So that is sort of the acceptable version of uh, a romantic novel or the romance genre novel. Um, what it means to me differently um, from that, I don't know that it has to have an optimistic ending, I don't know. I think genre romance absolutely has to have a happy ever after, absolutely. Okay. We need like a, whether... part, a part one and a part two. This is Claire's <laughs> idea of what things should be and then Shannon's. <laughs> but it's like, when we're talking about genre romance, like when you pick up a romance book and it says romance on the spine or whatever, I'm expecting that the two romantic leads end up together at the end. And I don't think that they would have to. As oh, Shannon, we're starting this off at a bad place. <laughs> but 
but as long as it satisfies the other parts, it's kind of like a mystery novel, but not all of the mysteries are resolved. Is that so critical? Um, that yes, the happy ever after, I think is the most critical part of romance, in my opinion. <laughs> Well, and, and agree to disagree. I, yeah. I'm just, and, and they almost all are. It's rare that you would find one that is disappointing somehow, because I do believe that that is exactly what people are going for when they look at the spine label and they see the little hearts running down the end that they are looking for that satisfactory ending. Yeah. And I'm just saying that maybe it doesn't have to be like that. Maybe. But then I would argue it wasn't a genre romance. Fair. It's so just... I'm thinking like happy ever after and happy for now or like optimistic ending. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like there are three types of ending. Happy ever after, you know that they're together, they're together forever. It's until the end. Happy for now could mean like there are still some things that they need to work out, but perhaps they're still on the journey. And optimistic, I feel like is sort of your ending with, did they fulfill their journey and maybe don't end up together? But then I'm just like horrified that you would even call that a romance. <laughs> well, let's say it matures from the Disney princess romance thought pattern. You know, um, the, the girl meets Prince Charming and they fall in love and then they get married and they're happily ever after it happens. Well, that's to me kind of immature and I, not if real. If the listeners could but see my face. If <laughs> the listeners could but see my face. <laughs> it's a step removed from reality. And perhaps <laughs> that is why people like to read the books, right? Like yeah. many mysteries go unsolved in real life. Many fantasies never go fulfilled in real life. So yeah. Um, yeah, maybe that's too much of a departure to, to have as an expectation um, for a genre category. However, I don't think that it would be terrible if some of that existed every so often. And I think it does exist. I just think that it shouldn't exist in romance. It can exist in regular fiction or chiclet or, you know, even True. there are mysteries or, you know, Westerns, whatever. I would argue you can, there are no like rules in terms of your romance, right? But I would say the biggest rule for like a book that's being sold to me, like either literally or figuratively, yeah. as a romance, they end up together at the end. Whomever, whomever the couple is, whomever the leads are, end up together. And I, I think that's fair. Um for what it is. Now, my question to you then is who is looking or what are you, is that what your expectation is when you pick up a romance novel versus a chiclet or just regular fiction? Is that your expectation? Absolutely. Is that everybody's expectation or are there other parts that you're looking for within that genre that could also be as equally satisfying? I think that there are definitely other parts in like romance books, right? Absolutely. There are different, I think, notes, if you will, that a book has to hit for it to be a romance. But I think the like 
golden rule is at the end they are whomever the leads are are together like that is my most like and I am a person who reads the end because I've been caught out before so if I if I'm interested in a book and I don't trust you I don't trust you as an author when you are selling me your romance because someone did me dirty I'm reading the end 100% is it a cliffhanger is it part of a next series is it a like you know someone dies or they break up or they end up with someone else or they end up alone I want to know and then I will make my decision because I start from a place is they end up together and you know what have at her I would never (laughs) ever ever read the ending of the book before I even started the beginning there's no way you would ever get me to do that no way I read an article a couple of years ago that talked about how sometimes reading the ending or knowing the ending to like books or shows or movies, whatever is more satisfying because you anticipate the outcome. And so it's less stressful for the person enjoying the content because you know, at the end, things will be good because in life, like things will be as they are and we don't know how things turn out. So I read this article a couple of years ago and it has stuck with me and I've been reading the ends of books for probably 20 years. So I did not start with this article, but I felt so justified in that moment that it's become a whole part of my personality like that this article exists and I am justified and it's all fine. Like 100%. it, it actually is curious to me because I, I kind of almost want to try it, especially for those books that I pick up. Um, like I, I'm sure the, you know, the Harlequin Blaze novels and, and those just super fast, quick, mindless reads that yeah. just fit the right spot every so often. Yeah. And they're, they are easy and stress-free to read for exactly that reason. Yeah you know exactly what you're getting into that you're not expecting amazing things from these characters or or huge growth or nothing is happening like that (laughs) so you're it's just a mind-numbing read and that serves a purpose for sure and so then do would you be so bold as to say that's what the romance genre is I think that's part of the romance genre Like, I think that in terms of like where the romance genre began and like how it's changed over, you know, the years, I mean, we could go back to Jane Austen and talk about Jane Austen as, as romance literature, really. But let's talk about more like, yeah, so Harlequin's like Mills and Boone, the UK uh, version of Harlequin, starting in like, you know, the mid-century in the 1900s. In the 1900s, let's have a moment. Let's, let's pause a moment. <laughs> but we then moving, well yeah. <laughs> but then moving, in, yeah. So you can have a an older book, say from the 60s or early 70s, a Harlequin book. They're usually under 200 pages. They're little quick reads. Uh, back then, no spice, if you will. None. Yeah. Like there's there's barely even suggestion. There's sometimes barely even like a kiss. There's maybe a hand brush or holding, which is very Jane Austen, right? Um, But then you get into the 70s. And I think the 70s version of romance is what people most think about when they think about romance, particularly people who have 
a, let's say, negative view towards the genre, they're thinking about what was previously called bodice rippers, right? Yeah. So that's, to them, that is what romance is. That is all it is. And it has moved on, not at all, right? And it's those covers of the half-naked dudes and the women who are like, you know, in like these dresses. And it's very, um, you know, dubious consent in the book. The older man, younger woman, and it's it's very a particular way. And they had their place in how you know romance has evolved. But I think most, and I would say most people who have a problem with the genre or who mock those who enjoy the genre only think about romance in terms of a bodice ripper. Yeah, I probably would agree with you on that one, that the archaic version of it or the, you know, the once popular version of it. Oh, yeah. It could still be popular for sure. Um, There is something to be said about that. That's just, I don't know. Yeah. Like some of those old 1970s are worth revisiting because they just give you a little something, something that maybe you can't get in a modern romance. But yes, I, I would agree that the people that sort of poo-poo the the genre would would go use that as their go-to yeah that old school type yeah but even if you read some of those older ones and the author that always comes to mind first is like Kathleen Woody West and maybe like Rosemary Rogers um they're not poorly written books these are authors who know their craft they know their story they know what they're doing Um, they're doing it in a way that I don't think a lot of people now would connect with. Like if you gave someone who has never read romance and, you know, never even thought about reading romance, one of those books, and that was the only introduction to romance, Mm -hmm. I think that it wouldn't serve the purpose of what I want to serve, which is that people like love romance and you know, don't mock it for what it is and, and respect the writers and the craft that goes into uh, the genre. But if you are a romance reader, it's interesting to go back and read these older versions of what was popular romance fiction at the time, like big romance fiction at the time. So it's kind of interesting. And like uh, Kathleen Woody West has one of the most famous bodice rippers, which is um, The Flame and the Flower. And you hear that title and it's, it's Bob Bodice Ripper title, 100%, like it is, but it served a place and it sort of catapulted the romance genre into the more mainstream like business part of selling books, right? Mm-hmm. For sure. So that's the part that's interesting to me. I do find that a lot of the, um, parts of the romance genre speak to different parts of our personalities um and how there's correlations between them so like you were talking about the is it even consensual type stuff and I would bring in the imbalance of power um you know scenarios that you often will see in some of those and why that's popular like on the surface you look at it and you would think um and this will probably segue into a whole talk about feminism but for right now (laughs) it's it's what part of us finds that appealing 
And, and I think that's worth a little investigation because um, it's, it's not just, you know, fluff and, and um, it, it's serious stuff. Once you start to get into the psychology of it and why we read what we read within that genre and what speaks to us more um, because everyone has sort of their, their little place. Some people like it when there is an imbalance of power or there's an age imbalance, let's yeah. say. Um, some people really like it when there is um, more of a, you know, some, some heat to it and, and really spicy stuff. But some people prefer when there's only a whisper, such a, just a gentle curiosity towards that, you know, the, the barely hand-holding part. Yeah. That's, that holds a lot for some people. Yeah. Um, so I, it's very interesting to me how that genre can just check off a whole bunch of really personal boxes and the author, depending on who they are and how they write, can be faded right, on, on what you read it for, what your purpose is while reading. Yeah. And like, there are so many, like if you think about romance as one thing, I think, you're sort of missing the bigger story because romance is the big umbrella, but then there's romantic suspense, there's paranormal romance, there's historical romance, there's like this whole subgenre of like mafia romance and like LGBTQ stories. And like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff there that I don't think it's looked at because it's like, oh, it's romance and therefore whatever. And in each of those subgenres, you are looking for something different. Like, and then each of the subgenres sort of splits off, right? Because you can get like extremely spicy historical romances, but you can get the like Jane Austen era, like, oh, he brushed my skirts as he walked by type of like romance, right? Ah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I and that speaks to the volume of readers in yeah. the genre because it's exploded it's now more gone and trickled into fantasy and sci-fi and it's it's trickled into murder mystery even yeah. like it because people enjoy it so much and maybe it has to do with the fact that it is a, a romance genre and so people don't want to actually read only that or right. they feel weird about reading only that there's a whole other side to <laughs> you know, what you feel good about reading and what you yeah. actually like reading and how those two can come together. <laughs> but maybe that's it, you know, for the person who likes to see a relationship bloom between the uh, the doctor and the nurse, right? Your, your stereotypical romance, you yeah. know. A nice um, Betty Neal's, a nice 70s Betty Neal's right? doctor and a nurse. Yeah, But they also want <laughs> to know all about the blood transfusion process at the same time. And now you're into some medical, you know, and, and I, it works as long <laughs> as the author is capable, it can work. And I think that to me is what excites me about that, because you can bring in anything and you can make that story work. Yeah. 100%. And when you're talking about how romance readers as like a big umbrella can find all of these mini like niche romances and like we're not looking to like kink shame anyone or whatever but whatever sort of you know floats your boat or whatever and you have different levels throughout the different subgenres. I mean it's a huge industry. The romance book industry is an over one billion dollar revenue a year industry like it's not it's not a little oh well 
you know, they sell a few books here and there. They're keeping publishing houses afloat. <laughs> like, yes, I agree. It's big business. I agree. I, and I think that's exactly why they've, they've, they have so many offshoots. They satisfy so many different categories because that people want to read that. And yeah. maybe going back to your shame topic, um, cause that, that's a real hot button in this genre as well. And, yeah. you know, shaming people for what kind of reading they do, um, we, you and I, Claire, before even talked about the front cover as being a, a problematic note. And I, I don't understand always why the covers that are picked, why they exist. Because <laughs> why they are picked. <laughs> I, I, often when I'll take a book on holidays, I will turn the, the front cover over and, and not let anyone see me on my lounge chair at the poolside, <laughs> you know, reading this really almost explicit cover because <laughs> I feel like the cover does a disservice to what's inside. I think the cover sells the notion that romance hasn't changed in 50 years. Yes. That, that it is still like, I mean, some romances have, you know, changed and some publishers have changed, but in certain subgenres, it is still sort of that half uh, naked man on the cover that you expect like Fabio style covers, yes. you know, from way back. And that your book is, you know, like maybe all about the sex or all about, you know, what they think, like what a non-romance reader thinks it's about. Fluff, yeah. like it has nothing. The writers are just throwing it together because they know that, you know, their audience will just read whatever. But it's not that. I think in a lot of cases, those covers do a disservice to the content of the book. But then I also feel like it does a disservice to readers who look at that and think that's not for me. That story is not for me because I don't want to be seen with that cover. And I don't like, I don't want to add that to my Goodreads because my followers will see that cover and think a certain way of me. Right. So it becomes a whole guilty pleasure that you, you sort of hide, like you do with the covers, you know, when you're poolside, you're not reading it up so you can be like oh everyone this cover I'm just waving it about you're you know I'm enjoying the story but I don't want people to see the cover and that is holds true for me as well when I'm choosing the books out of the collection at the library versus you know will I choose an electronic version of this because I know it's very um steamy yeah. you know and the content could maybe be very controversial and so <laughs> will I choose an electronic version instead of taking the paper copy to the front counter and checking it out and you know having one of my co-workers go oh my gosh you're reading this or whatever <laughs> so and I feel like that happens to me and yeah. I I see a lot of books in a day so yeah. I, I would assume that it would be happening to your average romance reader as well. Yeah. Well, and I think it is definitely a barrier. I mean, if you're like, if you're purchasing a book or if you're, you know, coming to the library or whatever it is, if you don't like, you don't feel comfortable, it's not, you know, real reading, it's only romance. So oh. you don't want someone to be thinking, oh, well, of course she's reading romance. Of course, you know, this, and of course it looks like that. And it just, it becomes this whole other conversation that probably you're having only in your head. I'm sort of, I'm sort of totally over it now. Like 
I, I'm not ashamed of the covers. I will take them to public places. I will add whatever to my Goodreads. I'm sure some people in my Goodreads feed are like, what are you even reading? Because I do read the age different romances. I read the mafia romances. I was literally talking to a coworker on Saturday and um, we read wildly different romance. We both enjoy romance, but we read wildly different romance. And a coworker of ours who doesn't really read romance, she asked, well, what's the difference? And Sarah's like, I think some things are irredeemable. So when we were talking about that, she's like, well, he was sort of thinking that maybe he would cheat on his wife. He didn't have a wife yet, but he had sort of thought, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, be loyal to my wife that I don't even have yet. And that just was a complete turnoff for her. Meanwhile, uh, we were talking about, you know, for me, like, what's my deal breaker? And I've literally read romances where the uh, hero of the story is a murderer. <laughs> like, so there are different levels of what we find acceptable or what could be redeemed. And I'm just saying that's across the board for everyone. And our coworker who doesn't read romance was like, there are romances with that. And I was like, yes, more than one. <laughs> and, and there's the beauty there. That, that is speaking to the whole reason why we read because yeah. we, it, they're made up stories. It's, it's fantasy. It's, you know, um, it's fiction for a reason. And books have always given readers a way out that, you know, it doesn't really have to have real life consequences. Yeah. It can just be whatever. And you can enjoy watching or reading along with other characters who get to experience all that muddy parts of life. And I think that's the gift. And I think yeah. that's another reason why I like the romance genre so much is because that's the gift it gives you. It allows you to explore completely different places um, different parts of yourself that yeah. like, you wouldn't act on in real life. That's right. Like, I don't want to find, like, I'm not interested in getting romantically involved, you know, with a mafia John or a, a murderer, murderer or whatever. What? Yeah. I'm not, yeah, I'm not into it. Uh, like in, in real life, like I'm very sort of black and white sometimes with my morality, but like in fiction, anything goes because there's no, um, there's no downside. I won't, I'm not punished for anything. I'm just reading it. And if the writer is good and it's angsty and it's dramatic and it drags you in, I'm fine with it. It's like, there is no, there's no line for me that I've seen yet. There are things that I've read that I've thought, why did I read that? I wasn't fulfilled by it. I don't, I wouldn't recommend it, but I wasn't like, this shouldn't exist. And maybe well, I just haven't come across it yet. <laughs> I think that's also because you're a librarian, yeah. right? We, maybe you and I aren't the best ones to speak about it because we're pretty much open to the fact that all books can exist, right? Yeah. And, and everything offers you a little something. It may not be for you, but that doesn't mean it isn't for anyone else. And yeah. I, the, that to me is the value of books themselves. Um, I think too that talking about the things that a book will give you, like you were talking about it being angsty. Um, for me, it's the little feels. Now, I don't know if anyone else <laughs> gets that, but you get like a little sensation in your shoulders. Like, yeah. I don't know. when you're It's like anticipation. 
yeah, that's emotional yeah. or, or it brought you in like that, whatever the catch was, I feel it in my shoulders. Like it's a physical feeling. And I just, that's why I read it because yeah. I, no other book, no other book type gives me that feeling. You, that don't, you, you don't get that when you're reading a cooking book. You're just no. like, <laughs> you know, or, or, or when the, when the detective just, away from finding the guy I don't get that little fluttery shoulder pressure and yeah. I you know feel all over good and and, and happy I no <laughs> so there like, are, spoiler alert no <laughs> so there is something about the feels like yes. the, the emotional quality of a romance novel and when you like I get like a physical feeling too like sometimes like something will happen or they the you know your leads get separated by something and like you physically feel like sort of that drop that stomach yeah. drop of like oh, no yeah. like the same that you would if you saw something in real in your real life like with your own yeah. eyes you'd be like oh, no or <laughs> like, if your sister called you and this was a huge disappointment in real life you'd be yeah. just gutted and it can happen on the page for sure yeah. and, and I this think- is beyond the the actual you know um sort of sexual response that oh, one yeah. might have, right? It's beyond that. This is the mm-hmm. emotional response that's manifested physically yeah. is what I'm talking about. That, like, I agree with you because to me, like, I don't know, sometimes I get bored by sex scenes and gratuitous sex scenes. I think sometimes books have too many of that, too much of that, or I don't know, like, it's just, it doesn't connect with me in the same way. But when you... I like the anticipation of the relationship, like the little things that happen or the little problems that happen that you get that, yeah, that physiological response where you're, you're just like, oh, like maybe it's now or like, oh, oh no. Like, and you just have this like roller coaster of like being so involved with these characters that like the sex stuff to me can be so secondary. Yeah. It's about that, that little journey. And sort of leading into that, because I- okay, I'm not an expert in like feminism or like feminist literature, but I will make a bold statement right now (laughs) with my very limited knowledge, which is, (laughs) I know we're getting controversial up here on this pod. Um, (laughs) I think that romance is feminist literature. And I know that a lot of feminists might disagree with that based on some content in some category romance genre but let me lay out my little base argument and we can have a little bit of chit chat about it and again I'm no expert but to me like the romance genre is usually about a woman and I know that there are subgenres uh, where it's not but let's my sort of limited capacity of romance is the lead character is a woman she often is experiencing a change in her life maybe opening a new business uh, maybe moving to a new town, whatever it is. She's but then vulnerable. She, yeah. But she finds a romantic partner who fulfills basically all of the requirements that she wants to be fulfilled. She experiences usually um, something good in her career, like her maybe her business starts going very well. Um, it's about whether she wants children or doesn't want children. And by the end of the story, that character, that female character, has everything in her life that she would have wanted to have, right? Like it's the respect of her partner. It's the closeness of that relationship. It's the success of her, you know, work life or family life. And it's just like, 
it's everything that we can tell women that they can have, right? So yeah, I think that it, I would argue that it's feminist literature, regardless, because it is like whatever you're interested in, you're not being shamed for it, right? Like you can find your subgenre and, you know, be interested in it. And it's, you're, you know, quote unquote allowed and it's fine and it's acceptable and, you know, power to you type of thing. And then there would be the flip side that would say the, and I'm just playing devil's advocate because I absolutely agree with you on this point um, that I believe that the romance genre is feminist literature because it does advance women's interests. However, the flip side would say, thank goodness the man came on the scene so that the woman could have everything she needed. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that belongs in your 1970s version of old school romance. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I thought was very interesting and it caused me to sort of um, pause about how I felt about uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh, the big phenomenon that was that um, and all the reasons why it became wildly popular. Um, And I didn't read it. Um, I chose not to just mostly because it was super popular and I don't like it. I get like that too. As soon as something's really, really popular, I'm like, I'm out. Yeah. So I did not. And I had a patron that came in and gave it the most glowing report ever. And and this was quite a few years after it had come out. It's not like it was just brand new and hot and exciting. And I, she had asked me if I had ever read that. And I had said, no. And she goes, I can't believe you haven't. And you absolutely (laughs) should. And we kind of talked about it being feminist or not, because I have not having read it, I'm sort of under the impression that it is very anti-feminist <laughs> and um, it kind of stops freedom of a woman on many different levels. But the patron argued that no, it explored the freedom, the sexual freedom for sure, and many other sort of hidden freedoms of the the character and so therefore she was making a case that it was pro-feminist um and using that type of situation to further one's understanding of oneself and i I, it was very interesting it almost made me read it (laughs) almost but not quite that's right (laughs) i've actually read it and i've read it more than once i haven't seen the movies I think maybe I saw the first movie when it came out but that would be a long time ago now Mm -hmm. um and sometimes I feel like romance genre doesn't necessarily translate well through whomever's gaze it might be um on film I think that it's very hard to recreate the feelings and and the sort of heart of the book without it just being oh it's a salacious you know so and so I think that there's a discussion to be had around Bridgerton for the same uh, yeah. reason um but I would agree with some of that like I don't I find Fifty Shades to be escapist I understand 100% why it was popular it was easy to read it started as um Twilight fan fiction and generally speaking I 
think of romance as a feminist genre because women are in that space. Women are creating that space, right? Like they are the editors, they are the writers, they are, you know, they are creating the space. So I think about it in that way. And I do think that if we're talking about Anastasia specifically (laughs) from Fifty Shades, I do think that meeting that character, meeting her Christian Grey, um, did allow her particularly to uh, explore like the the sexual side and, and what she did like, but didn't maybe feel like she could like. Mm. Um, so I do think that I would like agree with the patron for sure. But also like it, it, it won't read like that for everyone. In the same way that any book that you pick up, depending on your background, where you come from, what your you know prejudices are, or what you have internalized uh, over the years, it might not read like that for you. It might read like, yeah, the choice has been taken away, or the imbalance of power makes it impossible for there to be any sort of equal footing in a particular relationship. And that could be a complete turnoff to you. Absolutely, 100%. Or it could even be seen to you as dangerous or, um, you know, apologist behavior, 100%. Yeah. But I think that is sort of the interesting, another interesting part of romance is that there are so many different types of relationship that not one of them is wrong necessarily, right? Like, depending on who's reading it, depending on who's writing it, it could be the right one in that moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's so many books out there, no matter what genre they're from, that they'll speak to different people for totally different reasons. Yeah. And yeah, there's no way you can ever sort of predict. Universal. Yeah. There's not a universal. This is a good book for everyone. Yeah. Which, which is great because none of us are the same. Yeah. So, um, you know, and they say that too, when you're writing a book is that you write write the stuff that you would like to read. And I think that that's extremely interesting, not only just because on the surface, that seems very easy. And of course, (laughs) writing what you would like to read, but what I like to read is just a little bit different than what you would like to read, Yeah, you know, and the next person and the next person. And so whatever I write and it feels good to me will open up a new, a new hole. And, and, you know, something that we didn't even know we needed is all of a sudden going to be there and people will respond to it in a, in an interesting way. And I think that that's, that's the lovely part of it. Um, You know, a horror genre will be scary because it's scary based on five factors. Yeah. Whereas a romantic book can be romantic for five million different reasons yeah and I to me that's where the complexity is and I think that gets missed um too often nuance yeah because there's a nuance to the conversation it's not black and white there's lots of gray look at how I brought it back around (laughs) maybe that's what 
is so scary. Like I find that oftentimes I read one article and I, it was hilarious to me. And the question what leading the article was, will reading romance novels wreck my marriage? And I just laughed and laughed and laughed. <laughs> and then I thought, okay, well, no, this is an article on the internet. Like obviously somebody's taking time to write it and yeah. perhaps research people, it. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I read it and I, I, my takeaway was a lot to do on the same lines as will playing violent video games lead me to shoot people. And yeah. there is science that backs that up. And so there's probably, I, I would probably, no, there's not science. There could be studies <laughs> though. Up. But yeah. there might be, yeah, investigation on that. Yeah. And I, I think that it could work both ways. Um, if you read romance to distract yourself from your own reality and only did that, um, yeah, could that be harmful? For sure. Um, but again, it goes back to what you bring to the table. Yeah. Like if you are a violent person who then, you know, immerses themselves with violence and then you become desensitized and numb and maybe you make some bad choices but yeah. like with romance genre is probably the same what do you bring to the table are you reading it because you are unhappy in your marriage or your partnership and then you compare your reality to absolute fiction and yeah. find your reality lacking I remember a quote from like a few years ago and it was fairy tales are best read as fiction and not as a guide to life and yeah. It's true. Like, it's true. A fantasy will be better than reality. That's the whole point. Like, that is 100% the whole point of this is, yeah, fantasy is better than reality. 100%. So if you read rea a fantasy expecting it to become your reality, you will not find happiness. You will not find fulfillment. It won't be there because the bar is set too high. It's yeah. to an impossible standard. Which is why it's a book, a work of yeah, exactly, one hundred percent, yeah. And like yeah. I used to love watching Murder She Wrote. I don't want to be Jessica Fletcher with dead bodies popping up everywhere that I go, and have that be like my full time job to like investigate those murders. But I still enjoyed it for what it was. And I think yeah. sometimes people don't enjoy things for what they are. They want things for what they could be or for what they want them to be. And Absolutely. sometimes it just has to be what they are. Absolutely. And that leads me into the next topic that I wanted to talk about is um, the parts of it where, uh, and I might be the only person in the world who does it. So if, if that's <laughs> the case, bear with me. But I find that I compare myself to a character in a romance story. I will compare my personality. I will compare a relationship. I will compare size. I will compare um, looks. I will compare um, business acumen. Like, if, <laughs> you know, a bakery gal is, you know, just doing such good things and selling all of her cakes and cookies and everyone loves it. And I think, huh, my business isn't doing quite as good as that. And it's so interesting to me that, I am searching for a way to relate to the yeah. character and um, trying to make it 
more real. So it's a catch 22, right? Because you want it to become real to immerse yourself more in the story because you get way more out of it when you do that. Yeah. But then, yeah, it's dangerous. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you bring it away, like it's some sort of truth and reality, then yeah, you're, yeah, doing yourself a disservice. So yeah, I think, yeah, t- tough. It's a fine line between indulging and then staying sort of on the side of reality. You want to kind of go both ways. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, as a, when you do read it as escapist, it's sort of hard to flip back into reality if you want to stay in whichever world that you are immersed in, right? And when you're talking about like comparing that, I used to do that, but like the reverse, I used to watch a lot of horror movies. So I used to pick out little things to be like, well, this could never happen to me because blank. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like convincing myself that I could, could never do that. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, I wouldn't go up those stairs. So like, I'd be fine. I'd be fine. Or like, oh, like they're all blonde. I'm fine. Like, <laughs> you know. So maybe that's a way that fiction can speak to us, right? Like it can make the, the book, whatever genre it is, less um, less imposing. We can yeah. use it more as an escape then once we sort of reflect, <laughs> you know, some of those uh, parts that are harder to handle away. And then we can move forward um, more into our, our dream state, I guess. I don't know. Hopefully. That's an interesting point to leave it at. And like, we might have to do a part two. We might have to revisit this topic in the future because... I mean, we'll probably reflect on this a little bit more and be like, oh, I should have said, or maybe I changed my mind about, and so we might have to revisit this. Yeah. And I, you know, talking about the happily ever after book coma that you sort of lay there in for a little while after. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You just have like a little happy moment. Yeah. (laughs) So Shannon and I would like to hear from y'all on Twitter. Um, I am at what CCs and Shannon is at Shan (laughs) Laurent. Um, so yeah, let us know uh, if you have any opinions on you know this genre or other genres. Um, we are happy to hear them. We, I mean, obviously, I want you to agree with everything we said. That's not true. No, I don't. <laughs> no, want I want that. there to be discussion. Yes. Shannon and I, we started off not agreeing. So, yeah. like, as is our way, Shannon. That's as true. Is our way, <laughs> which makes us a good compliment to each other. <laughs> which is perfect. So before we leave you all, we will leave you with our reading, watching, and listening. So Shannon, take it away. Um, watching. I've been watching hockey. I am a sports really? fan. I am a <laughs> diehard hockey fan. Um, I, I have a favorite team. That's the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, I grew up in the Edmonton area. And so that's on like every other night. <laughs> so I'm very busy with that. Is so it strange no watching for- it during like quarantine, like with no audience? Like, cause there's nobody in the stands, right? No. no and oh. funny enough, they started the games and there was no, ambient sound at all and so you could hear the banging of the players and the skates schwacking on the ice and the sticks and the swearing and all that (laughs) and then that was eerie and then it moved into some fan noises so they must have piped in some canned fan previous games perhaps (laughs) yeah and so that 
it was kind of that sort of low level fan, which was great. And then I noticed that it morphed even farther and it would change the pitch. So if there was an incoming play that seemed really dramatic, it would be like, whoa. <laughs> so I, I find it. I find it very interesting. It feels more real to me like a normal hockey game would um, pre-pandemic. But I I also wonder who the person is. Yeah, the sad person. Deciding yeah. how dramatic that's going to be. <laughs> so I find that very interesting how they're, they're manufacturing the experience for me. So actually that <laughs> hockey game is a work of fiction. Yeah. <laughs> and I... I'm getting for sure. Yeah, it's giving you all you need in that moment. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So that's working for me. I love that. And I, yeah, it's such a weird juxtaposition, right? Yeah. <laughs> but whatever. Um, so that's what I'm watching. Um, listening. I'm listening to um, Malcolm Gladwell. And oh, yeah. I've been sort of on a little track of his. And so I'm reading The Tipping Point right now. We're listening to The Tipping Point. And I just find him so interesting but I also like the fact that he narrates his own stuff so it it, it just speaks yeah. to me and like it hits home and I can understand it really well um yeah and the other thing that I've been um listening to is Spotify I'm such a fan of Spotify and particularly um, for working out, like I'm doing lots of runs and I'm on the bike, on my exercise bike in my basement and it is boring sometimes. <laughs> and just putting on the right playlist and there are some really interesting motivational playlists. I don't know if anyone's been down that road before, <laughs> but so there'll be some interesting music that's very, you know, rah, rah, rah. and then all of a sudden there'll be like, um, a snippet, an audio snippet of like maybe from a sports movie where a coach is giving a really inspirational speech. Oh, wow. Or there'll be some <laughs> like, um, you know how you go to those seminars where everyone's like, you can be wealthy, you can be yeah. great, you know, and, and really <laughs> uplifting and building. And so then they'll throw in some really poignant points throughout, sprinkling throughout all this music and stuff. It, it I don't know, makes me pedal faster. <laughs> I quite enjoy that. So, and then reading, I am reading anything triathlon. So I am, I am learning about all the training and, and doing that. So I am reading any triathlon book and I picked up the Margaret Atwood poetry book uh, called Dearly. And I'm reading that right now. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. A little mix. It's right. Try to keep it fresh. <laughs> So I'm currently reading Crush by Tracy Wolf, which is the second in what looks to be right now a series of four. The third book comes out tomorrow, which is, well, today we are recording on March 1st. So tomorrow for us is March 2nd. Um, so it's really good. It's very like Twilight vibes, but with a 2021 uh, sort of life. And she published two last year. Um, so this one that I'm reading, she actually published last year, but a coworker of mine was like, there's a huge cliffhanger, wait until closer to the book. So I started it yesterday. Um, and then, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. And the library has them all in audio and in paper. And I'm watching, I'm obsessed with Hell's Kitchen on Prime. Like I am so obsessed. I don't like cooking all that much. I don't like reality TV all that much. 
but somehow I am so into Hell's Kitchen. I've watched almost 10 seasons now. <laughs> like it's a problem. I'm so in love with it. But it did sort of inspire me yesterday to make like short ribs. Cause I thought I'm going to put them together. I'm going to just like randomly make short ribs and they turned out really nicely. So like good for me. I've also been watching on a weekly basis, which is my least favorite way. WandaVision. Are you into WandaVision? Oh, I saw the ad for that. Oh, it's so good. And so the penultimate episode was this past Friday, the finale coming four days from now. It's so good. It's just amazing. And it's just, I recommend it 100%. And then listening, speaking of audiobooks read by their authors, I'm listening to Heroes by Stephen Fry. It's his follow-up that he had a few years ago, Mythos. So basically he just retells um, like stories of like, you know, heroes um, in ways that are like easily digestible. So like heroes in our mythology, basically. Um, And he's a great um, narrator. So I would recommend it 100%. And then also I'm going to recommend a podcast, Making Sense with Sam Harris. He has three episodes that came out over February with uh, Ricky Gervais, who I absolutely love. So the episodes are called A Call with Ricky Gervais, another call, a follow-up call kind of thing. (laughs) So if you're interested in those episodes, it's episode 235, 237, and 239. And they talk about like AI, they talk about reality, they talk about whether robots can tell jokes, whether you can tell jokes in your dream. It's just so good. Um, and I know Sam Harris can be a bit controversial and I don't always agree with all of his points, but I think that that's part of like, you should listen to things that you don't always agree with, but his conversation with Ricky Gervais, just, there's so many like funny bits and just like things that get you thinking about like, yeah, like when I'm dreaming, like what part of it am I taking away or like, you know, all of these different things. So I really, really enjoyed it. So I would recommend them. I wish they were longer. Alas, alas. <laughs> That's awesome. That's yeah. good. So this is us. And this was our first Zoom record. And it was lovely to do that with you, Shannon. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> yeah. yeah so we'll chat. hear you guys next time or you'll hear us next time. So we'll be back, um, I think, later in the month doing a new pod. So look for that. And so until next time, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye.